Welcome back to my love letter time machine. Hi, I'm Ingrid Birchall Hughes, and I've been serialising the love letters of my great-great-grandparents, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton. Travel 140 years back in time with me now, where we take a look at Victorian history through their eyes, and today is a very sad time. As we come to the last year that Janie and Fred were together, we find out how Fred departed this world and discover how much he was loved by his family and friends. Last time, we got to enjoy the snapshot of Janie and Fred's happy life by the seaside in Redcar. It sounded so romantic and lovely. So I'm quite bewildered that sometime in 1893, they moved again back to Middlesbrough. They set up home in Grosvenor Terrace, just off Linthorpe Road, a wide tree-lined street that ran northwards alongside Albert Park into the centre of Middlesbrough. Had commuting proved irksome to Fred and he wanted to be close to work? Were the winters in Redcar just a bit too rough to deal with, being that close to the sea? I'm racking my brains to work out what could have made them give up their dream of wanting to live in Redcar. The only thing I can think of is that Janie fell pregnant again, and that they felt that the house in Redcar might have been a bit too small for six kids. Maybe the house in Middlesbrough was so nice, it made the move back into town worth it. Whatever the reason, they settled back in Middlesbrough while they waited for their next child to be born. Just a couple of weeks before the baby was due, Fred got the news that his mother, Anne, had died. We can't know if this was after being ill for a time or if it was sudden. At the time, Anne was still living in the same street that she had been for the last 20 years, but due to the renaming and renumbering of Freedom Hill to Bassford Street in Darnell, I can't tell if Anne was still renting the original property to her grandson or if she had moved several doors down the street. The 1891 census describes her as the head of the household, even though her son-in-law, John Merrill, is living there along with his wife, her daughter, Louisa, and their daughter, Emily. I've not yet been able to get hold of Anne's death certificate. All I have is her memorial card. It reads, Anne Shepherd, who departed this life May 10th, 1893, aged 78 years, interred at Christchurch Atcliffe, May the 14th. It must have been a very emotional time for Fred to lose his mother, and then not 12 days later, his and Janie's latest child was born, a daughter, on the 22nd, and they named her May after the month. That's the last of the information I have for 1893, so let's jump to the new year. Janie and Fred kicked off 1894 by attending a charity ball for the North Riding Infirmary Cottage Hospital, which was held in the Town Hall on Wednesday the 24th of January. The tickets were 21 shillings for a couple, 15 shillings for a single gentleman, and 10 shillings for single ladies. It was a significant event in the local area, even beyond Middlesbrough, and special return trains were put on at 2am for Redcar, Mask and Saltburn. The write-up in the Daily Gazette for Middlesbrough for the following day is as follows. The Middlesbrough charity ball was a success. No effort had been spared by the committee and secretaries to make it so. Everything was done in a handsome, orderly and elegant way. The fixture has attained a fair degree of popularity. 
when, however, the object for which it is held, namely to raise funds for the North Riding Infirmary, the Cottage Hospital and the Nurses' Home, is taken into consideration, there would seem to lie almost infinite probabilities for such a reunion in the future. May it go on and prosper. The proceeds for the ball were written up a month later. The Middlesbrough Charity Ball, a meeting of the committee held last night, the Honourable Secretaries submitted the balance sheet, which showed the net proceeds of the late Charity Ball to be £61 and one shilling. It was ordered on the motion of the Chairman, Mr J.V. Cooper, seconded by Mr W.J. Watson, there's that name again, he must have been a bit of a bigwig in Middlesbrough, that the same be adopted. The Chairman moved and Captain McFarlane seconded that the division be as follows – North Riding Infirmary, £27. North Ornsby College Hospital, £27. Nurses Home, £6. Leaving a balance of £1 to be carried forward to next year. The chairman paid a high tribute to the energy and business-like manner in which the Honourable Secretaries had discharged their duties and moved a vote of thanks to them for their efficient services, which was carried by acclamation. It was decided to hold the ball earlier next time. Obviously, the infirmary and hospital had better income streams than just the contributions from a charity ball, as £27 wasn't going to go all that far. But it's interesting to see that in a world before universal healthcare, the responsibility of funding hospitals fell on the generosity and the direct actions of the community. It wasn't long after this, despite the weather improving with the spring, Fred came down with a chest infection. As the months went on, instead of recovering, Fred got sicker. How long did he struggle with it before it dawned on everyone that this was serious? At some point, poor Fred started coughing up blood and with horror, he and Janie would have realised that they were staring tuberculosis in the face. From what I can gather from several letters which I will share with you shortly, no one really grasped just how sick Fred was. His deterioration seems to have been unexpected and rapid. At some point in the month of May, just after he turned 35 on the 16th, and just before his youngest daughter's first birthday, their family doctor must have explained that the end was near and that Fred should get his affairs in order. The last thing Fred committed to writing was his will, and we still have it. It's on a large piece of stiff vellum and is ruled in red lines with large hand-calligraphed black letters. It reads, This is the last will and testament of me, Fred Shepherd, of 5 Grosvenor Terrace, Middlesbrough, in the county of York, commercial clerk. I appoint my dear wife, Jane Warburton Shepherd, executrix of this my will, I devise and bequeath all my real and personal estate and effects, whatever and whosoever, unto my said wife, Jane Warburton Shepherd, absolutely and hereby revoking all former wills. I declare this to be my last will and witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand this 21st day of May, 1894.
As Fred struggled, Janie, no doubt in utter disbelief, must have taken some time to write to various family members to explain what was happening. In Janie and Fred's hour of need, it was Fred's older sister Louisa who dropped everything, got on a train from Sheffield, and came to be with them in Fred's last days. The day after the will was drawn up was little May's first birthday, and I wonder what tension there was around it. Fred and the older children would have wanted to mark it. Perhaps a small cake and candles was procured to appease them. All the while, a sense of unrealness permeating the situation. I hope they got to have this last family moment before Fred became entirely bedridden. Fred lasted out another week. A week to say your goodbyes after hoping for a lifetime. A week to have snatched moments with young children who wouldn't really have understood what was going on. Louisa perhaps trying her best to keep them out of the way most of the time, while Janie nursed Fred. A week of watching a man who had seemed to be in the prime of his life, wasting away and struggling to breathe. I hope the end was peaceful, but I can't know for sure, can I? Our Fred died on the 28th of May 1894. He was 35 years old. I got Fred's death certificate through the post about a month ago. It was a strange moment opening it. My heart was in my mouth as I slit the envelope open. I always suspected that Fred had died of tuberculosis, but I'd never known for sure. And even though he's been gone 129 years, I've been living his and Janie's lives intensely through this podcast nearly every week for two years. And now I was holding his death certificate. And there it was, 28th of May 1894, Fred Shepherd, male, 35, occupation, accountant. Cause of death, fifth cis, three months. Fifth cis is another name for tuberculosis. It was Louisa, Fred's sister, who took the lonely walk the next day to the town hall to register her brother's death, and the certificate records her as having been present at the death. The days between a death and a funeral are a foreign landscape. When my stepfather John died earlier this year, as we were planning his funeral, I found myself writing the following words. These are the days of grief and dressing gowns, of chocolate for breakfast because who cares right now, of paperwork and tears, of memories that make you laugh and cry snottily at the same time, of guilt that you didn't share enough and gratitude that you got to share at all. These are the days of I don't care what sandwiches we have at the wake for heaven's sake, and will Granny eat turkey and cranberry? These are the days when we speak of our feelings and hug those of us left so tightly and all the time thinking, how can you not be here anymore? I wonder what Janie's in-between days were like. As well as continuing to take care of the kids, she had the business of arranging Fred's funeral. She placed an announcement in the Daily Gazette for Middlesbrough, Wednesday the 30th of May 1894, which read, Fred Shepherd, aged 35 late of the northeastern steelworks of Five Grovesner Terrace, will be interred on Thursday, cortege leaving the above address at three o'clock. Friends, please accept that this is the only intimation. Judging from a tailor's invoice I have, it looks as if Janie went to get measured for her funeral clothes on the 30th of May and returned the morning of the funeral to pick them up. She spent pound eighteen shillings and ninepence on a crepe black dress and 14 shillings and sixpence on a widow's bonnet. We've still got all the bills for Fred's funeral. At some point, Janie gathered them all together and fastened them in the corner with a dressmaking pin. It would be easier for me to read them if I took the pin out, 
but, and I know it sounds weird, I can't bear to remove the pin, that I know her hands pressed into the paper. Janie arranged for Fred to be buried in a best pitch pine coffin, the cost of which was along with the attendance fee from the undertakers, five pounds. The hearse was one pound and eight shillings, the burial plot a pound, and the clergy fee three shillings and ninepence. On the morning of the funeral, Janie would have received the following two letters, one from Ginny and another from Fred's nephew, Arthur William, you know, the grandson who had been charging his own grandmother rent. However, in his letter, he does sound genuinely sad. It's written on special morning stationery. Both the paper and the envelope are marked with a black corner. Darnell Road. Darnell, Sheffield. Wednesday 30th of May 1894. My dear Janie, I thank you for your letter of yesterday's date. My wife wrote to me to Manchester and I learned of the sad news this morning. To say that I am aggrieved is but feebly expressing my feelings and I shall never cease to rebuke myself for not having visited him. But I did not dream he was so ill. Words to you of sympathy must seem poor and cold in your great loss, but I do offer you my deepest condolences in your sorrow. Your husband was the best fellow in all our family, and it is no exaggeration on my part to say I looked upon him as a brother, and my chief regret will ever be that I had not the opportunities of late years to show the affections that I bore him. I regret I cannot come to pay my last tribute to his memory tomorrow, owing to the funeral of my wife's brother, a fellow old clerk of Fred's. By the same post this morning I learned of both deaths, and I feel unable to properly express the grief I feel and the sympathy I should like to offer to you. Love to your boys and yourself. I am yours very sincerely, Arthur W. Shepherd. Ginny's letter is written on her works paper from the city hospitals department, where Ginny worked as the matron. City Hospital, Winter Street, Sheffield, 30th of May, 1894. My very dear Janie, to say I am deeply grieved is to only faintly carry to your mind how much I feel Fred's death. Dear boy, it is hard he should have been cut off in the prime of his youth like this. Kiss his dear face for me once again. I shall never forget how he stood and waved goodbye to me at the dining room window. I have sent a wreath by tonight's post. Put it on his dear self from me in loving memory. I shall not be able to get over. Will come for the day a little later. I shall spend Thursday afternoon quietly and carry my mind and spirit to you and yours at your sad ceremony. Yours most lovingly, Ginny. The funeral service for Church of the Fred would have been packed, as the many friends, work colleagues and acquaintances from Fred's social organisations came to pay their respects and say their farewells. Afterwards, Fred was laid to rest in Linthorpe Cemetery, not far from Albert Park, just a few steps away from the family home. Louisa must have stayed for a few more days, as her and Fred's other sister Lucy sent a letter addressed to both her and Janie. I don't think Lucy can have been very comfortable writing, and I lost sense a couple of times, so I've tried my best. There's also a suggestion that some family member may have emigrated, as there's a mention of a bushfire, and I can only imagine this must be in reference to perhaps living in Australia. Chippingham Street, June the 2nd, 1894. My dear sisters, it is with deepest sympathy I send these few lines to you, 
but I hope God will spare you in your health. Dear Janie, I know what your feelings are. I only wish I could have come and kissed his dear face once more. My heart was with you all the time. I was not. But thank God we have got a turn for the better. I thought I was going to have to send you news from here. I let Charles go out a little on Wednesday morning, and he became ill in the afternoon. I thought he would have died. With care, I think he will pull through. Dear Janie and Louisa, I wish that I could come and comfort you in your sore trouble, but call on the Lord, and he will comfort you, for God always plucks the fairest flowers the first. Dear Louisa, I have not seen Heather, Walter or Arthur. I thought that they would have seen John and have told him, as he has not seen either of them. We have had another letter from Alf, and they are all very well, but nearly burnt up. They have had a bushfire, and he says it is the first, and he hopes it will be the last. He said it was something fearful. Well, I think that is all, and I remain your loving sister to both. Lucy. That's one of those letters, isn't it, that says not very much and an awful lot, and you're not really sure how to unpick it. And a couple of days after that, Janie got another letter from Ginny. City Hospital, Winter Street, Sheffield, 10th of June, 1894. My dear Janie, I was so glad to get your letter and to know you have some friends to help and advise you. Keep your heart up, dear old girl. You will get on somehow if you try. What a very good thing the boys are. The elders, they will soonest be able to work for you. It is hard to see why troubles like yours are for good, but we are taught to believe they are. Still, it is difficult. I cannot believe I shall never see dear old Fred again. My eyes fill with tears when I think of him. He was always fond of his old cousin. I should like to be able to talk to you and to make you know how much I feel for you. I hope little May and Agnes are better. Kiss them all for me, and give my kindest regards to Louisa and Johnny. Love and a kiss for you. Yours ever, Ginny. The letter Janie wrote, that this must have been in response to, may well have contained Janie's expressions of floundering, and that she'd been casting around about what to do next. In terms of financial support, Janie had a couple of sources of money that came to her in the next months. The probate of the will, says Fred's estate, was worth £368, five shillings and fourpence. It's been stamped by the Scottish Widows Insurance Fund, so I wonder if the life insurance policy Fred had taken out with them was considered part of the estate. The Scottish Widows appear to have sent Janie a cheque for £224 and 11 pence at the end of June. I've also got here a document headed List of Subscriptions Received in Aid of the Widow and Children of the Late Mr Fred Shepherd. There follows an extraordinary list of people and organisations who have all contributed. There are 122 names listed all told, from companies such as the United States Metal Packing Company Limited and Darlington Forge and Bear Pack Coal and Coke Company, contributing as much as £10 each to humble individuals, perhaps men who knew Fred at the steelworks like Theo Phillips and Alf Ricks, offering up a couple of shillings. The whole thing was organised by a committee of five men, including a W.A. Scott, who is recorded also in the list as raising two pounds and two shillings from simply friends. The total they raised came to £187.11. shillings. A staggering amount, when you consider that the charity ball that Fred and Jane too had been to at the beginning of the year had brought in £61. 
When I look at this effort and the number of names, both professional and private, I can hardly grasp the level of regard Fred must have enjoyed. Fred meant a great deal to a lot of people, and how kind of them to try and help the family he left behind. This means Janie had at least £300 to lean on over the coming year. It wasn't going to last forever, obviously, and money was always going to be an issue, but at least in the first year of trying to make sense of a life without her beloved Fred, she had a brief window of financial security in which to come to terms with what had happened. Of course, she also had six children to care for too. May was still a babe in arms. Edith was three, Agnes six, Arthur eight, Alfred ten, and the eldest, Frederick, who at eleven years old, no doubt would now have been experiencing the emotional pressure that came with repeated comments that he was the man of the house now, and given that he would be leaving school in about a year, that pressure was real. He was expected to get a job now, to help support his mother and his siblings. Poor little mite. I'm remembering a conversation that Fred had with his friend Fred Johnson way back, when he expressed his fears about leaving Janie to fend for herself, even before they were married. It's heartening to see that he'd taken out life insurance to help protect her, but however much Janie would have tried to reassure him as he neared his end, I'm certain Fred would have hated to know that he'd not yet been able to give his family full financial security. So, here we are, at the end of Fred's story. I can't quite fathom it. I know I'm going to think that Fred was special because he was my great-great-grandfather, but I think, from the belief that people like Janie and her family and his company bosses had in him, and from the reactions of those that loved him when he died, I have to conclude he was a bit of a bright spark. Someone you liked having around. Someone you could rely on to get a job done. He was more than a bit talented on the football field, and he had a beautiful singing voice. He was seriously intelligent, had a ready wit, but also a soulfulness that I deeply recognise, and I'm more than convinced he passed that particular quality down to me. It's the part of our Fred I relate to the most, being inclined to those wistful moments looking out at a landscape, not noticing that the tide is about to cut you off. He died 73 years before I was born, and there's no way our paths could ever have crossed. But I feel I know him so well, like a strange parasocial relationship stretched over history. We've been following him for two years during this podcast, and I can't quite believe my time with him like this is over. It will never be this intense again, and I am bereft. While we may be at the end of our Fred story, we are not at the end of Janie's. There's another story here, a different one about how a 34-year-old woman with six young children had to learn to survive, how she slowly came to realise that she had to leave Middlesbrough and the home she'd made with Fred and forge a new path. I want to tell you that story. Janie would eventually decide to go back to Sheffield and there she made a new life. It was there she put down the foundations and built a family, a family where she raised her kids and where her kids raised my grandmother and my mum. So I invite you to rejoin me as this podcast evolves for a new journey, 
where we discover the history of the early 20th century and the Second World War through the eyes of Fred and Janie's next generations. I'll be back next time with more details and a Q&A. If you'd like to send me questions, comments, or your thoughts about how Fred and Janie's story has affected you, I would love to hear from you. I always appreciate the messages you send. You can reach me on my social media at Instagram, my love letter time machine, all one word, on Twitter at Ingi, that's spelled the number one N-G-I, and you can write to me at my love letter time machine at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to my love letter time machine. If you've enjoyed the podcast and you want to send me a tip, you can head to ko-fi.com, my love letter time machine, and buy me a coffee. It helps pay for hosting and music and newspaper archive subscriptions. That's ko-fi.com slash my love letter time machine. This podcast was written and produced by me, and the theme music is Delicate Waltz by Neil Cross. Until next time, take care. <laughs>